Thank you for joining us in our season of prayer. Today, Pastor Cyrus talks about Jesus' prayer in the garden. And when we're under immense pressure, prayer is the proper response. Go ahead and take a seat, if you would, please. Good morning. Merry Palm Sunday to you all. Did the kids run to the, to the palm out in the living room to see if there were any palm gifts underneath it today? No, that's not how we do Palm Sunday, but why not? I think we should. Let's start something new. Let's start a new Palm Sunday tradition where we have some... Uh, we'll work on it. Chris, Mike Miller, you're good with ideas. Let's do it. Instead, let's be a little bit more serious and remember that Palm Sunday was a special day where we had that triumphal entry of Jesus. Thank you, Chris, for summarizing uh, Jesus coming in and that kingly welcome. They were hopeful that things were all going to be different. And of course, things were very different from what they expected, right? Um, and that's what we remember Palm Sunday, the week before Resurrection Sunday. And um, today is one week from Easter. So if you didn't know that, put it on your calendar. Easter is next Sunday. We would love to uh, spend time with you. But where we are in the story is closer to Good Friday. In fact, our story today in the text will take place late Thursday night, maybe around midnight even of Good Friday. And so I want to put in a little a little commercial for Good Friday. Please, if you've never been to a Good Friday service, please attend this Friday night, 7 o'clock. We've got something special planned. Um, we've been thinking of um, something that we could do together that would be memorable, that would be powerful, but that would also be very beautiful. And we'd like you to be a part of it. So please make um, Good Friday service, 7 o'clock, a priority. And invite someone to come with you, please. All right, enough of co the commercials. Let's get back to what we've been learning. We have been in the story of Jesus preparing us for Easter in this season of prayer. Um, we specifically are learning from Jesus and we are looking at the things that he has taught us or modeled or his example from prayer. So, if you'll notice, uh, in your worship program, there should be a little, a little page for fill in the blanks, some notes. It, have you noticed that? Some of you got that? Go ahead and... Ah, thank you. So, the story of Jesus has taught us that prayer helps us grow in relationship with God. But this week, I wanted things to be a little bit more personal. So it says, prayer helps me grow in relationship with God. And I would like you to repeat after me. Because this is true, or no, don't repeat after me. Let's say it along together. Let's say it along together because this is true for you just as well as it is for me. Say it with me. Prayer helps me grow in relationship with God. So I've been enjoying, ever since we had that Ash Wednesday service, we had some of these crosses were given. 
And we look specifically at Luke 5.16. And that's one of those passages that says, Jesus went to desolate places to pray. He went away. He was purposeful. There was desert and, and no distractions. And he went there just to, to pray, to spend time with God. And uh, I have this with me. And there have been many times where this has encouraged me to spend more time and grow in my relationship with the Lord. So, say it with me again. Prayer helps me grow in relationship with God. And we saw Jesus model that over and over again. But that's not the only thing we've learned from Jesus' life and teaching. We've also learned that prayer aligns my heart with God's heart. So say this with me. Prayer aligns my heart with God's heart. And we discussed this whole idea of praying for your enemies, right? Um, Not something I usually find on people's prayer list, right? But it should be. Um, We've tried to figure out even who our enemy is. And we know that, um, thanks to the Apostle Paul, our real enemy is not flesh and blood. But sometimes we feel like they are right? They're the person that uh, kicks us when we're trying to sleep, or they're the person that snores. Maybe they're a co-worker. Um, Maybe our enemy seems like it's our neighbor or um, um, maybe a sibling, right? Right, kids? But those aren't really our neighbors, right? Wait, they're not really our enemies. Words are hard sometimes. They're not really our enemies, right? But we should be praying for them, even if we struggle with them. And so say it with me, prayer aligns my heart with God's heart. When you see them the way God sees them, then you will be able to pray for them, God's best for them, okay? The next thing that the story of Jesus has taught us is that prayer strengthens my trust and fight for faith. So say that with me. Prayer strengthens my trust and fight for faith. Okay? And so this is something that he walked with his disciples and we've been talking about. Don't stop believing, right? The trust fall. And then we've even considered Jesus and his work with his disciples and encouraging them. So that brings us to today's message. In today's message, we're talking about prayer under pressure. Prayer under pressure. Um, by a, a nod of a head, have any of you been feeling life's pressures lately? Yeah, right? That's part of life, right? If you didn't know this yet, um, you're not in control. And sometimes when, yeah, some of you, that's a good thing, right? Life is, is out of con- our control, and we, we forget that sometimes, right? And the pressure builds when we try to make things work our way, and it's not going the way we want, and then things happen, and things come at us from different angles, and man, the pressures of life, they really, they really are very powerful. And prayer is one of those things that can help us, and that's why today's message is all about this concept that prayer prepares me for pressing problems. So this is a little bit of a tongue twister. So say it with me. Prayer prepares me for pressing problems. 
Okay, that's our message today. So if you have a Bible handy or if you can grab one of the ones the church provides, turn to Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. And it's page 882 in the Bible that the church provides. And if you are here today and you don't have a Bible of your own, well, we'd like to give you one that is uh, in the pew around you. You can take that Bible home. Um, you can put your name in it. You can begin to study it and read it and mark it up like your very own. We would encourage you to so that you might grow in your relationship with the Lord. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, page 882. But what happened in the previous chapters? Well, let me tell you, Jesus was born. Merry Christmas, right? We've, been, we've already been over this. And then he's been living his perfect life, sinless life. And we have just experienced in the story the Passover meal. And that is a time of remembrance, like Chris was saying earlier, where God rescued the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, freed them from the slavery of the Egyptians, and Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples explaining things that were to come. He was explaining things about the Holy Spirit and a relationship they would have with the Holy Spirit. But he also said that he would be dying. He would be going away. And that was very troubling to them. And so Jesus explained these things, but they didn't always understand these things. But they continued to enjoy the Passover meal. They continued to even sing the songs that were related to the Passover. And then that brings us to our time. So Passover would have started after sunset. And it was based on the seasons of the moon. It was in the spring. And so if you look it up, you'd find that sunset about this time of year is about 7 o'clock in the evening in Jerusalem, which means as the sun goes down, that's when they begin their Passover meal, that's when they begin doing all of their remembrance and all of their celebration, and so by the time they would have finished all of that and they would have got to our point in the story, it would have been probably around 11 o'clock at night. Okay, so it's getting late. Read with me chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. And get, get, the, the, get the scene in your mind. Get the picture. It's dark. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place... He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, if you would like to get 
um, an even fuller description of this story, you can go to Matthew chapter 26 and Mark 14. I would encourage you to write that down. And as you are getting into the story this week, please read Matthew 26, starting around verse 30, and Mark 14, starting around verse 26. And then you can read their accounts and descriptions. And Luke provides some interesting details that Matthew and Mark don't, but Matthew and Mark provide interesting details that Luke doesn't. So reading them all together, you get a really good picture of what happened. We're going to start right back up at the top and make some observations. Let's look at these first three verses. Verse 39, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. So are you, are you able to, to get the scene in your mind? It's dark, nearing midnight, and they're going to leave. They're leaving the protected city of Jerusalem. That's where they were enjoying the meal. And they're going to leave. They're headed east and they're going to go down through the Kidron Valley up toward the Mount of Olives. And we read from the other accounts that they were specifically going to a place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane has this wonderful, ironic meaning. It means oil press. Hmm. And here Jesus is about to experience great agony and pressure. Right? And so will the disciples. So they're on their way to Gethsemane, and that would have been about half to two-thirds of a mile away, so maybe a 15-minute walk, where they would have been able to maybe even discuss, what did Jesus talk about in that upper room? What was he saying about his death and going away and the Holy Spirit coming? I don't know what their conversation would have been like, but you can imagine them walking in moonlight to this place called Gethsemane. Now, I have a little video clip that I want to watch with you, and it tells you about this story, but it also gives you some imagery of Gethsemane. Let's watch it together. After Jesus ate his last supper with his disciples, the time for his personal freedom was quickly passing. The choice to flee Jerusalem or to stay and face suffering was upon him. Jesus went to a tranquil olive grove across the Kidron Valley and out of the city called Gethsemane to pray. There he fell before his father begging for the cup of suffering to pass if there was any other way. His anguish was so deep and severe that his sweat was as great drops of blood falling from his face. Jesus had to walk through this experience alone. Although his closest friends were nearby, they had fallen asleep, not fully grasping the hour at hand. It was here in Gethsemane that Jesus embraced the will of his Father. It was here that Jesus gave up his freedom to run, and from this garden Jesus was led in chains back across the Kidron Valley as a prisoner to face accusation and judgment. This ancient olive grove in Gethsemane stands as an eternal testament to the personal agony Jesus went through 
on his way toward the hours ahead that would lead to his death and our salvation. The trees have had carbon and DNA testing. Some of them have been here over 1,000 years and were planted by parent trees. Their pedigree seems to go back to the time of Jesus' lifetime and passion. The Church of All Nations now sits in the gardens where a 4th century Byzantine and a Crusader-era chapel once stood. It was built in the early 1900s by architect Antonio Barluzzi, who designed many of the beautiful churches in Israel, including the chapel at the Mount of Beatitudes. Its design is beautiful and yet allows the visitor to contemplate the dark moment that transpired here, where Jesus willingly surrendered his freedom to the forces set against him. Pilgrims have come to this place for thousands of years to honor that choice and to reverently walk along some of the final footsteps of Jesus. We actually have an Israel trip planned. If you'd like to go this September, you can see me afterward. But that's just a glimpse of what it looks like there now. But of course, that church wasn't there, right? Even some of the finer uh, details of the garden probably wouldn't have been there. But imagine what it would have looked like. Just the olive grove. It's dark. Remember, it's about midnight. Maybe there's a moon. Maybe it's full because of the spring and how they measured the time with, of the seasons for the Passover. We don't know if it was a clear night, a cloudless night or not, but we would have known that it would have been dark. And if you've ever been camping or if you've ever been in the woods at night, you know how dark it can be. Even a bright moon would have not shown enough light to really get clear detail of everything that was going on. But this was the place that they would travel. This is their place where they would pray. And it was Jesus' custom to pray here. It was his place of prayer. So let me take just a quick minute and ask if you have a place of prayer. Do you have a place or places where you go and spend time with the Lord? Just in prayer? I hope you do. I don't know your circumstances. Maybe you say, Cyrus, I am currently homeless. Well, maybe it could be a park bench. Maybe it could be even somewhere here in this building where you have a place where you, where you pray and you spend time with the Lord. You see, having a place of prayer is actually really valuable because it actually reinforces a healthy habit. And that place would be a place where you know you're connecting with God. And it actually would even help promote healthy brain chemistry. Because it would be a place where you could rest and relax. And you could meet with the Lord and give him all of your troubles and your anxieties. Maybe it's a closet. Maybe it's a bathroom. Maybe it's just a place in the woods. I would encourage you to have a place of prayer. This was one that it was Jesus' custom to go, to, to pray at this place. However, this prayer meeting that he was about to have is going to end 
significantly different than all the other ones he is about he had enjoyed in the past. In fact, this trip to the Garden of Gethsemane, the oil press, was actually the beginning of his suffering. And if you think about it, it is after this time he will no longer have any rest. They will keep him up all night. He will not eat again. He will not drink again. Not substantially. He will have no comfort. In fact, his own will is now in the hands of those who are about to arrest him. He will be on trial. He will be questioned over and over again. He will be dragged around in chains. He's about to experience verbal abuse and physical abuse and even experience abandonment from his closest earthly friends and his own heavenly father, his God. And it's this time in the garden that is his last few moments of solitude. And what does he ask of his, of his friends? He says, pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray. Jesus leaves his closest disciples to stand by. And we learn from the other um, gospels that all of them probably came, except Judas, of course. He was doing something else that night. The rest of them had come along with him, and he left the majority, and he brought Peter, James, and John a little farther along. And they stayed, and he said, stand by, stay here. Basically, would you keep an eye out? Would you, would you pray and look out so that way I can have a few more moments? But you notice Jesus isn't selfish. He's not wrapped up in all that's going on for himself. He actually takes the moment to say, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's still developing his disciples. This is so different than me. As a husband and as a father, as a co-worker, as a friend, if I've got a lot going on in my life, I'm most likely to say, do you know what's going on in my life? Would you please treat me better? Because I've got a lot going on in my life. But is that how Jesus handles his disciples? No. He doesn't say, hey guys, I'm about to go die on a cross. Would you at least? He doesn't. He actually takes a moment and says, hey guys, you need to pray because there's some testing coming. That word temptation, it means test. There's a test coming. You need to be ready for it. You need to spend some time in prayer because it will prepare you for some pressing problems. He takes a moment to teach and lead, even in the midst of his own struggles. I could learn a lot from Jesus, and I hope you can too. Jesus talks with his disciples, and he, he leaves them, and he goes about a stone's throw away. I don't know how far you can throw a dodgeball or a baseball, but a stone's throw is about from here to the, to the back of our worship center. Okay, So if you take a, a look, it's about 50 feet to 70 feet. 
I mean, some, some guys, some of you even may have an uncle that could throw a football over a mountain. But a stone's throw is basically from here to the... And so, now again, get back in the, in the story. It's dark. They're underneath all these trees. And if jo- Jesus walks in the darkness to one of those trees in the distance about a stone's throw, you could see that he might be visible, but he would be very much having a time of privacy with, with the Heavenly Father, right? And that's exactly what he does. And he asks his Heavenly Father for something. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, Father, if you are willing, if there is any other way that you, you could determine this, please remove this cup. And the cup is a symbol of his fate, his lot in life. I don't know what is your fate, but some of you might. You might know that you are in the midst or about to begin struggle with an illness, with cancer. Maybe a loved one is passing away because of something like that. Maybe you know that uh, your, your employment is coming to an end and you're going to have financial problems. Maybe you know you're going to have to move or your house is having um, some problems that you have to deal with. I don't know what your cup is, but let's consider what Jesus' cup was. What was Jesus' fate? What was... What was so agonizing that he would ask for it to be removed? Think about that. While Jesus is having this moment with the Lord, he is recognizing that his death has been foretold and he is willing to embrace it. Not my will, but yours be done. Because here, his prayer, his time with the Lord is aligning his heart again with the Father's. Not that it has ever been misaligned. But again, he is willing to say, your way is better than my way. Again, another prayer for us. Let your will be done, God, and not my own. You see, even Jesus, even though he is the king, he is still willing to do things for the heavenly father, for the, his father's will, for his kingdom to be done on earth. Yet I am so often interested in building my own kingdom. I am so quick to say, Lord, will you allow my will to be done? And I fail to say, your will done, Lord. Let your will be done. So at this point, Something happens here in, the, in the, the Gospel of Luke that you don't see in Matthew and Mark. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So his will will be done. And so he's going to the cross. And so the angel comes and strengthens him. The heavenly father responds to his prayer with strength. Strength from heaven. But you'll notice that this angel, the way he strengthens him is not to change his circumstances, but instead it's to give him strength to endure. You notice it's only after the angel has come 
that Jesus' agony and prayer continues more earnestly and that his sweat becomes like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's after his help has arrived that he experiences more pain and more agony. You know, that's very counterintuitive to help. (laughs) When we want help, we want someone to make it all better. We want someone to make it go away. But in this situation, the help was a strengthening so that he might endure more. I don't pray that way, but I should. And you should too. We often pray that our circumstances would be changed, that that our bank accounts would be full, that our bodies wouldn't ache, that our relationships would all just be at peace. But if we are so quick to pray that way, we may be missing the whole point. That God is preparing us to be more like his son. He is drawing us near to himself. He is helping us come to the end of ourselves so that we might recognize our weakness and our need and our desire should be for him. It should be for strength to endure, not simply that our circumstances would be changed. And so the angel comes and strengthens Jesus so much so that he continues to pray and that the agony and the pressure is so great that he sweats and his sweat is mingled with blood and it comes down off of his face onto the ground. Remember, it's almost midnight. It's probably not really hot. He's not sweating because it's really hot, but because of what's going on but because of his difficulties and the pressure that he's under. Now, I asked you to think about the agony. What kind of agony was Jesus experiencing? Well, it was much different than our agony. Our struggle is with sin, right? Our struggle is to uh, give up sin to get closer to God. And Jesus' agony was the exact opposite. His struggle was giving up God so that he could get our sin. I'll say that again. Our struggle is giving up sin to get God. But what Jesus was agonizing is that he was about to experience something that from eternity past he had never experienced before. And that was separation because of the judgment that was going to be poured out upon him because of your sin and mine. That's what he was agonizing over. His agony was wrapped up in the reality that his relationship that has always been intact from eternity past was about to go through something that he had never experienced. And it was because of you and me and all of humanity and because of our sin. He was about to give up the perfect, loving relationship with his God and his heavenly father so that he may take on sin. And you and I, we hardly struggle to give up sin that we could get that relationship with God. But it's ours because of what Jesus has accomplished. And I don't agonize nearly enough for his way because I'm often wrapped up so much in my own.
I'm not trying to merely evoke some kind of uh, guilt or shame because I, re- I realize that we all experience a lot of pressure in life, right? Stress, anxiety, worries, pressure, that's part of life because it's out of our control, right? However, we're not like the world. Right? The world doesn't know God. And so they don't have a plan to deal with pressure. In fact, the world understands pressure very well. In fact, they even wrote a song about it. Have you ever heard a song about pressure? Well, let me, let me play a little clip for you. And I even put the words up here for you, too. that was very well known for a long time and still is. Sometimes you see it in commercials, you see it in TV shows or movies, right? The world understands pressure. Pressure pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man asks for. It's not something that we ask for. It's not something that we seek out. Ooh, I want more stress. I want more pressure in my life, right? We don't. But the reality is because life is out of our control, because we are sinful individuals and, and other people are sinful as well, conflict happens and pressure happens and it's under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on the streets. The choices that we make when we're in situations that are outside of our control really determine a lot. But with prayer... You have an opportunity to take some time to establish and grow in that relationship with the Lord, to give yourself an opportunity to align your heart with his. You have an opportunity to be strengthened because you remember what is true. You see, prayer prepares you for pressing problems. It really does. Let's go back to the text. Many of us are under pressure in the very same areas that we desire health. Spiritual pressure. I'm not walking with the Lord like I should. I don't know if he's happy with me. Is he? You have to remember, you are not loved and accepted by God because of what you do, but it's because of what Christ has done. Your relationship with him exists out of being in Christ It's because of what you've believed and that faith is accounted to you as righteousness. That's why God loves you because of what Christ has accomplished. So you don't have to feel that spiritual pressure. Now, if you're not living with the Lord and you're feeling the pressure of sin, then yeah, that's different. You need to walk with the Lord. You need to get right with him. The other areas we feel pressure Relationship pressure, financial pressure, physical pressure, emotional, occupational. Jesus experienced great pressure. And when he arose from prayer, verse 45, and when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. 
You see, the, the disciples were experiencing pressure as well, weren't they? In fact, so much so that it was bringing sorrow into their life. I'm sure in a room this size, there has been enough discouragement and depression and sorrow that all you have wanted to do at some point or another was just sleep. Anyone can, can you, anyone experience that? Man, life is so hard. I just want to sleep, right? And maybe you don't turn to sleep. Maybe you turn to substances. Maybe you turn to food or drink or drugs or maybe some other feeling to numb yourself or to give yourself relief. Right? The disciples, they turn to sleep. And what does Jesus say? Does he say, you wicked disciples? Not in Luke, he doesn't. In Luke, it says, rise and pray. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Even though they were struggling they fell asleep because of the sorrow. I have to ask you, because the Lord asked me, are you asleep? Now, most of you are awake right now, but are some of you asleep in certain areas of your life? You have not listened to the call of Jesus to rise and pray. Instead, you are sleeping spiritually in certain areas of your life. Maybe you haven't turned your relationships, your finances, your job, your employment, how you spend your time or your retirement. Maybe you haven't turned those things over to the Lord. And so maybe those things are still spiritually sleeping in your life. And maybe today you hear Jesus say, rise and pray, rise and talk to God and get your heart aligned with his that you might not enter into more and more testing. Jesus says, under this pressure to his disciples, he says, rise and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Jesus is still teaching. He's still developing his disciples. And in the very next verse, it says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. You see, while they were praying, the traitor, Judas, had gone to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they had gathered their soldiers, and the soldiers had gathered their lanterns and their torches and their swords and this massive crowd has come. I bet they could have heard them coming. They hadn't yet got so close that they woke the disciples up, but Jesus knew they were coming. Jesus knew many tests were about to come. And his exhortation was not exercise or you need to study your Bible right now, quick, memorize these verses. He says, you need to pray. I'm all for Bible memory. I love studying the Bible. Men, sign up for the men's Bible study outside when you're way out. Right? But prayer was the thing he was recommending so that his disciples would be prepared for the pressing problems. So right now, you're probably saying, Cyrus, how does prayer prepare us? Well, I'll end the way we started. 
Prayer helps us grow in our relationship with God. If you look at the notes at the beginning, our review from all the weeks before, that's how God is going to prepare us. Because our relationship with God is being strengthened. And as our relationship with God is strengthened, that allows us to trust him more. Our perspective changes from our own, from our small picture to God's picture. And we're able to see things from his point of view. We are able to see people the way God sees people. We're able to love them and care for them the way God did. And so our hearts are aligned with his heart. And that allows us to then trust him. And it allows us to be strengthened so that we can fight with faith the attacks that are coming from our adversary, the devil, and from the world around us and our circumstances. Not so that our circumstances would be changed because they don't always change, but that we might endure them, that we might endure the pain knowing that we're not alone through them. We have God's church and we have God the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son walking with us through these things. And really, it's prayer that allows these things all to come together. You see, Jesus prayed. That's what he did. That was his final preparation. Jesus prayed to prepare his, for his pressing problems. Right before these events really started unfolding, he spent time with his father preparing for what was to come. So I ask you, will you follow his example? Will you be praying for those problems that are to come? Maybe you don't even know what they are. But my question is, are you going to pray that your circumstances would be changed or that you might endure your circumstances in a way that honors and glorifies God, that his will would be done and not your own? God knows your pressures even better than you do. And that's why we must go to him so that we can be prepared to handle them. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the example of Jesus. And we're able to recognize that life is way out of our control. We think that we maybe have things taken care of, but in reality, it's you, God, who hold all things together. And so I pray now that we would continue to trust you, we would continue to spend time in prayer, that we would find a place or places that we associated with spending time with you in prayer, that we would be able to recognize our need for you, our need to grow in that relationship with you. Lord, I I pray that we would be able to be strengthened as we walk with you, that our perspective would be changed, that our prayers would not merely be a list of things that we want, but instead it would be a time of surrender to do things your way. Help us to recognize who you are and who we are and that we would respond appropriately. That we would rise up and pray 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to look into God's Word with us. Join us again next week as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday.